coming up in this episode. Because of that recruitment effort that ISIL is making, we've got to be focused on the homeland. You can kill an enemy and not necessarily defeat an enemy. Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson talks more about efforts to stop violent extremism. But the problem is, people aren't paying attention. So what is it going to take to get Americans dialed into the real problem Omar Mateen exposed during his attack in Orlando? I don't know what it's going to take. Mike Rogers, the former House Intelligence Committee chairman and former FBI agent with deep knowledge of the terrorism situation the U.S. is facing, says the FBI transcripts of what happened in the nightclub can help turn on the lights. The full transcripts give people an understanding of how seriously committed he was to the ISIS message. Um, and how close he came almost perfectly to what al-Baghdadi wants you to do and wants you to say when you're doing either before, during, or after your attack. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. A very graphic situation. San Bernardino. Upwards of 14 people that are dead. We are now investigating these horrific acts as an act of terrorism. Paris. An attack on all of humanity. The Islamic State. I'm back, Obama. They I'm want back. you to imagine them in the shadows as something greater than they are. Hostile nation states. They can't inflict mortal damage to the United States. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. This is Target USA. America in the crosshairs. Whether it's anarchists, cyber criminals, nation states, or terrorists, America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. I'm J.J. Green, previously on Target USA. I woke up Sunday morning at 5 a.m. expecting to get on an airplane to go to Beijing. Secretary of Homeland Security Jay Johnson was all set to go, and about two dozen people were waiting for him at the airport. But the situation at Orlando's Pulse nightclub changed everything. By 8 a.m., I had canceled that trip because I realized that my place was here in the homeland after the attack in Orlando. Johnson sat down for an exclusive interview to talk about the attack and what happens next. And on this program, we continue that conversation. What is the status of Daesh, or the Islamic State group, and the U.S. fight against it? Militarily, through the president's policies to degrade and ultimately destroy ISIL, we've made very good progress through our airstrikes in taking out a number of leaders, those focused on external attacks, those focused on external attack planning, the ground forces in Iraq and Syria, supported by the United States and others in an international coalition, have taken back a lot of the territory that ISIL once occupied in those countries. We are degrading their efforts to communicate. We are degrading their ability to finance their own terrorist activities. My sense is, is the momentum is with us right now overseas. Meanwhile, because of that recruitment effort that ISIL is making, we've got to be focused on the homeland. And that's my mission. That's law enforcement's mission. Um, you can kill an enemy and not necessarily defeat an enemy. And so 
The whole of government effort, which I keep talking about, is so important. The Homeland Security law enforcement effort, the CVE effort, the effort to build public awareness and public vigilance is so important in this current global terrorist environment. And so I believe that this organization will ultimately be destroyed, but it requires a whole-of-government approach, both external, overseas, and this is something when I was at the Defense Department I was very focused on. As the, as the lawyer for the Defense Department, I had to sign off on a lot of military actions, a lot of counterterrorism actions. But because of this HVE threat, home, homegrown violent extremist, there is definitely a role for federal, state, and local homeland security and law enforcement officials. Domestic terrorism is far from a new phenomenon in the U.S. It's been a problem dating back to the 1800s. But in the modern era of terrorism, attacks on U.S. soil, like those on 9-11, here at the Pentagon, and in New York, and in the skies over Shanksville, Pennsylvania, signaled a new era was coming. An era symbolized by terror groups operating outside of the U.S., sending operatives here to launch attacks. The effort, led primarily by al-Qaeda, failed as aggressive U.S. counterterrorism and military efforts targeted and took out many of al-Qaeda's operatives before they got here. But now, in the high-tech era, combined with knowledge of how the U.S. intelligence community works, which was exposed by the Edward Snowden leaks, Johnson says the terrorism problem is driven by attempts to inspire people within the U.S. to launch attacks. It's a fundamentally different threat, and we have to be aware of that. 9-11 is the most notable example of a terrorist-directed attack, where operatives are trained, recruited overseas, and exported to this country to commit an act of mass violence. That was 15 years ago. Our government has taken the fight to al-Qaeda and taken out a lot of the leadership of al-Qaeda and to a very large extent decimated core al-Qaeda. Now we have the Islamic State and we're going after them where they, where they live, where they plan, where they organize, where they train, and we're doing a pretty good job at that. But we now have the prospect of terrorist-inspired attacks through the use of social media, through the use of the Internet. That is a relatively new thing. It's been around now for a couple of years, but it is a relatively new thing relative to 9-11, which requires a very different type of response. So what should that response be? For some perspective on that, we turn to Mike Rogers, former House Intelligence Committee chairman. But he's also a former member of the U.S. Army and former FBI agent as well. And to him, Omar Mateen was very clear-cut. He fit the profile completely of what al-Baghdadi calls for in inspired attacks, including the reference to al-Baghdadi, who is now the leader of ISIS, uh, as the inspiration uh, of the attack. And he does that to a T. And if you look at ISIS materials, he, uh, he Mateen... Omar Mateen, the shooter in the Orlando shooting, did, did exactly that. And he did it exactly the way that they asked him. So it was clearly a combination of those things, which to me worries me a lot because there's a lot more individuals out there who are troubled, who have these other issues, who will look for permission to do something just like this. And ISIS gives them that permission. So this innocent slaughtering of all of these 
uh, lives and taking of these lives was just so tragic. And it was for an ISIS-inspired event. And we shouldn't get too far away from that. We're going to get into a lot of politics surrounding this issue, but we better start dealing with that issue because they're still inspiring, still planning and conducting attacks out of Raqqa, Syria. What is it going to take to get people to stop drifting? <clears throat> I, you know, I'm JJ, I'm not sure. I, I thought this might be it, but it, w- it seemed to be a convenient issue politically, at least domestically, to get off into a whole host of other issues. And I'm not saying that those issues aren't important to talk about or debate, um, but a very senior uh, Democrat official said this wasn't about terrorism. This was about guns. It was about gays. And I thought, boy, if this is our political narrative, we are all in trouble Um, because it was more than that. It was, first of all, they slaughtered Americans first. Uh, Their sexual orientation was, should be irrelevant to all of us at this point. And so I don't know what it's going to take. I think the fact that they've released now the full transcripts give people an understanding of how seriously committed he was to the ISIS message um, and how close he came almost perfectly to what al-Baghdadi wants you to do and wants you to say when you're doing either before, during, or after your attack. And so I hope that that wakes people up to the notion, hey, we've got this big growing problem. You had the CIA director come out maybe two weeks ago now and said, guess what? Uh, We're not winning this fight against ISIS, and they have the ability to plan and conduct operational attacks in the West, including the United States, as well as to continue to inspire. That we're going to have to deal with in a comprehensive way, and we just haven't mustered the political courage yet to do that. So going back to the the, uh, transcript, which was redacted in the beginning, why is it that you suppose the FBI released a redacted transcript and then... I did it about face within hours and uh, released the full transcript. I and and I I tried to look at it objectively and I thought maybe the first go round if they had done the redaction correctly maybe they would have taken away a a tool for propaganda from ISIS. But it was done so clumsily and it was so uh, it just when you pulled out the transcript and read the way they had redacted it I thought well you might as well not have redacted anything the way they did it. Mm. And so I was giving them the benefit of the doubt up front. I think once it got out and the, the political firestorm started about what are you doing, I think they quickly changed their mind, mainly because it was so clumsily done. I, I think it was a combination of the FBI and the and Department of Justice. I think their intention was not bad. I think their intention was really can we take a tool away from Baghdadi mm-hmm. to collect this guy's own language, own words, during an attack and use that as a part of their big social media propaganda campaign? I'm sure, at least I hope, someone in that organization had that thought. That thought's a pretty good one. The problem is their implementation of it was a disaster. And then, of course, the political fallout that happened afterward, I think they rightly corrected that mistake pretty quickly. Okay, so mistake corrected, still... Uh, an issue, as you mentioned, uh, this is a tool now for the Islamic State group and other terror groups, most likely, that they will use or try to use to push their narrative forward and their points on the the, the rest of the world. Based on all of this, uh, what is it likely that we're looking at now as a result of this? I mean, it, this this doesn't bode well for us in the near future because, again, there are a lot of troubled individuals. You know, when I was an FBI agent, one of the things we looked at is the profiles of people who join gangs. Why do you join a gang? And there's some interesting profiles. One is because people want protection. They feel if they're part of this gang, they get their own personal protection. Some have a whole host of other issues 
that they feel get dealt with by being a part of this, especially violent, the violent portion of the gang. I'm stronger. It's ownership. I feel empowered to do these things in a way I couldn't do on my own. Some of that we see in these terrorist cases. Right? This, he's got all of these other issues. This is his empowerment. This is his way of saying I'm part of something bigger than myself. Uh, and it gives me permission to be this uh, you know, pretty awful person that slaughters 50-some people, shoots over 100. And so what, what we worry about is, or what I worry about, is that they take uh, the continued inspiration. They do it through their social media, and it appears that he was radicalized through his social media, as well as they have outlets in some of these mosques in the United States. You remember, this is the same mosque, the mosque he attended there, was the same mosque where the individual was radicalized, went to Syria, filled up a van full of explosives, and committed an act of, of suicide murder. Abu Salah. Abu Salah. And so he he already had that relationship. Matter of fact, the FBI interviewed him because he knew Abu Salah. And so think about that. And so that he's already seen that. He saw that particular act. He was close, not necessarily very close, but he was an associate of this individual. It all happened somewhere around this mosque. I think that's why the FBI went back and interviewed them. So we're going to have this problem, and it's going to be a whole host of problems. You can't just say it's just guns. You can't just say, well, they attacked uh, you know, people with a different sexual orientation. You can't say that really either. You have to put all of this in perspective and start dealing with all of these problems, mental health included. Then how do you deal with it? What, what would you do if you were the person that were making the decisions? Yeah, I'd first start with making sure that ISIS cannot uh, continue at the rate that they're doing. So we, we're going to have to have a comprehensive plan to go after ISIS. We are fits and starts. We're incrementalism. We're, you know, maybe we issue a press release. We send, we send 50 special forces troops uh, uh, to uh, eastern Syria. They make an announcement, which they shouldn't have done. They did a press release. Shouldn't have done that either. You, I'm saying the United States and our administration. And so that's not going to win this thing, clearly. And the longer they can have this narrative that they're winning, that they're inspiring people uh, like Mateen, that they are inspiring people like the San Bernardino shooters in California, uh, that they are operationally using people, as the CIA director just said a couple of weeks ago, then they're going to they're going to create this narrative that they're winning. We must change the narrative, and you do that by a much more comprehensive effort in Raqqa, Syria, including, by the way. Uh, allowing our special forces and special capability soldiers um, and airmen and Marines to, to engage the enemy in a way that we don't today. It's just an advise and, and consent kind of a, uh, arrangement there. If you talk to them, and I talk to them, uh, they're very frustrated by the arrangements of which they're in. There was just an article that came out that talked about how even in Afghanistan our soldiers have to go through this matrix of when can I engage a Taliban soldier? You can't do that. If we're going to win this thing, we need to really go in to win, to defeat their operations, to minimize their influence capabilities. Uh, and that's going to take a bigger, more coordinated effort. And I'm not talking about the 101st Airborne Division. I am talking about empowering our Sunni Arab partners in the area who are willing to do this, but they need U.S. leadership. And that means we're going to have, we will have people on the battlefield engaged in combat operations, and we shouldn't fool ourselves about that. The U.S. is facing a new era of terrorism and a new genre of terrorist. Not only do today's terrorists identify with one terror organization, they may identify with multiple. 
They may have multiple agendas and may never have met any terrorist from any organization at all. It could mean the exponential multiplication of terror threats all across the country, at every organization, every type of event, and in every city. And coming up in our next episode... If we're worried about the right kind of guards and guns at a, an event, we're at the wrong end of that equation. We have got to get it in the upstream. These more inspired lone wolf events are going to happen. That's the unfortunate thing. We're going to have to try to deal with that. Rogers and others talk about how we do that. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA.